Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello, and thank you for joining us today, where we'll be taking a deep dive into agile policy management. I hope you're all well, and since you ask, I'm feeling great. And I put that down to my new yoga regime. That's right, because I'm not going to lie, I'm reaching an age where some things that perhaps used to be easier that I didn't really have to think about aren't quite as comfortable as once they were. So after taking the dog for a walk, I was finding that my legs were beginning to ache a little bit. My joints were a little bit stiff. I realized that perhaps I've been losing some of my youthful fitness and agility. I get why. It's because because life, because work, it's, it's all very busy. And maybe I've let my fitness and my agility take a bit of a back seat. So my wife, ever the sage, suggested that I reclaim some focus on myself and try some yoga. Now, I have to say, I'm genuinely beginning to feel the difference. And even bending down to tie up my shoelaces is certainly a lot easier now. Anyway, enough about me. Back to today's webinar, which completely by coincidence is also we're going to be talking about agility and flexibility, but this time in a business environment, particularly when it comes to policy management. Speaking of agile and flexible, let's welcome our guests for today. We have MetaCompliance CEO Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Delighted to be here, David. And governance risk and compliance guru Michael Rasmussen. Hello, Michael. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, Robbie, before we kick off, how do you stay fit and flexible? I'm with you. At the beginning of the quarantine, I started yoga as well. It's great. You can watch it on YouTube. I try not to inadvertently get into some of those more advanced yoga Mm. because they are seriously distracting and there's no way that the human body can get into those uh, types (laughs) of poses. Yoga, fantastic. Good stuff. And Michael, what's been your top tip for staying match fit at work and at home, or indeed if they're the same place? Oh, well, um, well, I work out with my wife regularly, but you know, we bought the Nordic Track studio bike behind me with the, the screen on mm. there and I could go biking around the world. So I just finished a 12 part series biking through Norway. Wow. And have oh, to wow. figure out what's next. <laughs> That does sound like a lot of fun. Well, I'm pleased that we have three fit, flexible, agile specimens here. Let's see if we can apply that in some way to the workplace. Now, today we're talking about policies and I want to level set first of all. What do we actually mean by policies? That's a multifaceted word. And what purpose do they serve in the workplace in this context? Robbie, I'll come to you first. I mean, policies is one of those things that people their eyes just glaze over when you start talking about them. And I think if you look at policies as the, the laws of an organization, that's where the do's and don'ts are, are, are written down. They actually become quite important. They're quite important when something goes wrong. Unlike laws, no one ever really pays attention to them until something goes wrong. But when they do go wrong, you better make sure that they're fit for purpose, right? And it's going to be all kinds of organizations. It's not specific verticals. It's not just financial services or healthcare that, that have these policies. It's across the board, was it? Across the board. And I think 
that as time passes, a lot of people are beginning to realize that bringing policies into a unified, accessible way for your organization is a way of hugely minimizing risk. And I think that uh, individuals themselves understand that if, if an organization or a government goes to the effort of writing down a policy, that it's something, something serious. And I mean, there is just so many things that an organization has to take into account to ensure that it provides proper oversight, that it provides proper compliance with the myriad of different laws and regulations that we have to follow these days. So there is a train of thought much more prevalent than, than I can actually attest to, which is put the content of a policy into almost a legal contract, you know, a 26-page policy. Well, that, I think, goes against the, the concept of what a policy should be. And, and really, it is something that people can really use that will drive behaviors, that will, you know, underpin the controls that you've put into place to mitigate risks and, and to take your business in, in the way that, that you want to go. And policies and playlists and procedures, I mean, they're all related, but the problem is in a lot of organizations, these have grown up over years, they're not well organized. And you know, when it comes to overall uh, issues of compliance and information security, they really are the backbone of it. Mm. Michael, what's what's your starter for 10 on trying to define what, what policies are, maybe what policies aren't as well? A couple of the firms that I've worked with have called their policy management program their governance documents program, because that's where it starts. It's governance. And in that context, you know, I cover governance, risk management and compliance, GRC in my research. And policies intersect with all three. We, ought, we might think of policies as compliance documents, and they are, but they're much more than that. Hmm. They are definitely governance documents. Uh, you know, the Governance piece is about reliably achieving objectives, directing and steering the organization or layers of the organization, and being able to reliably achieve objectives. That policies, first and foremost, are governance documents. They help us reliably achieve objectives. Can you imagine an organization without policies? They could never reliably achieve objectives. I mean, you know, manufacturing process without quality process policies or health and safety policies. You know, if we didn't have HR policies or, you know, accounting policies, you know, expenses would be all over the map. Uh, it'd be too hard to manage. Policies provide a framework so that we can reliably achieve business objectives. Policies are also risk documents. The very fact that we have a policy means there's a risk. There wouldn't be a policy if there was not a risk and the risk was significant enough that we actually had to write a policy to actually address this risk and, and to control and guide behavior around that risk. You know, but policies are also compliance documents. They help us act with integrity, integrity to the laws, rules, regulations, but also to the values and ethics and contractual obligations of the organization as well. Is there a conversation around whether policies are more carrot in terms of leading an organization or stick in terms of beating it from behind and pushing it into a particular direction, Michael? I would say it's both. Policy enforcement can be a stick. So if you if you don't follow the policy and you get your hand slapped, you know, hmm. that, that that's definitely a stick. I mean, a policy that's not enforced is, is a guideline and it, it's not a policy. And so there's, there is a stick element because policies need to be followed and enforced, but they're also a carrot, particularly in this day and age. Or uh, individuals, particularly the millennial generation, but even beyond, they, they want to make sure that they're working with an organization that shares the same values and commitments that they do. And a lot of that gets defined in like the code of conduct 
and other policies like harassment and discrimination policies. And it's important those policies are lived and breathed in the organization. So there's this carrot element to encourage the right behavior, but also to even build that culture that, you know, this is what the organization's about. These are our defined values and how we approach things. And that actually helps with a stronger sense of belonging and shared values. And we'll come on to some of those benefits in, in a way, in a moment. So in terms of definitions, they're policies, they're, they're the rule books, they're the frameworks for the workplace and for the organization to achieve its objectives, whatever they may be. Some of it's self-evident, but, but Michael, I'll come to you. What's at stake if these different types of policies aren't adhered to? Well, first and foremost, you've got a cultural issue. I mean, if, if there's policies and they're not adhered to, it's going to corrupt your culture. And uh, the employees in the organization are going to be frustrated because they feel that the organization doesn't care. They establish policies and make things look pretty, but they go in a different direction as far as behavior. So, I mean, there's a cultural impact. There's definitely a regulatory impact for those policies related to laws and regulations. Uh, related to regulations, but different, is a liability. I mean, I mean, I live in the U.S., the most highly litigious country in the world. You know, where we love our lawsuits. You know, if, if an organization has a policy and it's communicated as a policy, maybe it's not even official policy of the organization, like some store manager or branch manager wrote a document called it a policy and communicated as a policy. Maybe it's not an official policy, but it was communicated by a manager that it was that could put a legal duty of care and a liability and exposure upon the organization. Can you imagine today? If some you know, store manager or branch manager thinks they're a little smarter than the rest of the organization and says, you know, I, I think I could write a better COVID-19 policy. Uh, may, maybe that, that branch manager doesn't believe in, in, the, in the virus because there's some that think it's a hoax. You know, and somebody gets sick, an employee, a customer or something like that, that puts a legal duty of care upon the organization that that manager created a document, called it a policy, communicated as a policy, and people followed that and somebody got harmed. You know, puts a huge significant liability on the organization for rogue policies like that. Robbie, anything to add on the pitfalls of not following policies? So I think that if you have an ad hoc approach to it, it shows a lack of consistency for people. And a really well-run organization is consistent. Where you have different people operating against different sets of rules, it's, it's a recipe for chaos. And I always find that when people are bringing in digital transformation projects or there's mergers and acquisitions involved, it's one of the things that's often forgotten about in the rush for closure. But it is the thing that always really disturbs people because we as human beings require structure. So there are situations where the more authoritarian orientated the country, the more guidance that organizations need to give. And interestingly, with digital transformation projects, there's a big movement to outsource aspects of your processes and your businesses to possibly former Soviet Union countries, for example. In those countries, policies are absolutely important. People need to see that, that you have a clear method of operating. But I think it goes to the ethics and the the way that the organization approaches how they deal with their own internal challenges and how they, they deal with the challenges that they're finding within their environment, their business environment. So policies, 
Very important. We get that. So it follows then, does it not, that organisations clearly must be managing them efficiently, ensuring they're accessible to their workforce. You know, that that goes without... Oh, (laughs) Michael, I get the feeling you're going to tell me that's not always the case, aren't you? Uh, Certainly not. I mean, a lot of organisations don't even know what policies they have. They're all over the place. In my policy management by design workshop, there was one global financial services organization that went there and said, you know, we don't even know what policies we have in our environment. They did a policy discovery process and found 1,500 policies in North America, and then doubled that when they discovered them across uh, Europe and Asia. Uh, you know, a healthcare firm that went to my policy management workshop in uh, California, in San Francisco, they, they said, you know, we actually found out we had 18,000 policies and procedures because we've acquired 20-some hospitals over the last 20 years, and they each came in with a completely redundant set of policies. Mm. Uh, you know, then a healthcare firm in, uh, in New York, you know, at my New York workshop said, we can, we can beat that. We have 21,000 policies and procedures uh, because of all the, the consolidation. And each one of these acquisitions comes with a completely redundant set of policies. And now we're trying to bring that down to 5,000. A lot of organizations don't even know what they have. You know, like a large retailer I'm working with, and I sort of alluded to this just a few minutes ago, they have this whole strategy in place right now that, you know, if it's an official policy, it will be in this template, it'll be in this central policy system, it'll look like this, will be indexed and cataloged, because if you find anything else out there, report it, because it's not an official policy. They're trying to get a hold on what policies they have. Um, I uh, was working with a, a large insurance firm a year ago, just as they went into COVID-19. And they went into COVID-19 in the work from home environment, and they found out they had 20 different policy portals in the environment. There's 20 different portals communicating policies in different templates, language styles, and formats. And the policies in the HR portal were changing with the change in responsibilities and health and safety and work environment and the home office environment. Accounting policies are changing, like home office expense policies. IT security policies are changing, dealing with the home office IT security. And the employees are like confused because they're all over the place. And there's old versions of the policies in one portal that weren't another portal. And it just was a complete mess. And I find that time and time again, that organizations really don't even know what policies they had. In fact, I was keynoting at a conference a couple of years ago and there's 200 people in the room. And I asked them, you know, if the regulators, a stakeholder, external auditor, whoever it might be came in and said, you want to see a master index of everything that's a policy in your organization, who could provide that? Two people out of 200 raise their hand. Wow. Robbie, I guess you must see similar things. You know, you you work with your customers on these kind of challenges. Absolutely. Interestingly, just to back up what Michael was saying, last year when this all, the, the COVID situation struck, we fast forwarded in terms of changing the way we work quite significantly with people working from home. No one really saw that coming. I, don't, I haven't met anybody who knew that knew it was coming. And therefore, the way that we, we began to work, the requirements that our staff had completely changed. And it was necessity was the mother of invention at that point in time. It was just get it done, give people laptops. And it was a fast forward to a, a new point. I really believe that all the custom and practice that if you were lucky was written down in, in, in policy form somewhere. They all need to be rewritten. And indeed, they need to be rewritten with, with an eye to the future because this current state is in a state of change also. You have a post-quarantine, post-vaccination situation where hmm. here's a new norm. You can 
drop in and out of work if you want, or we have a fully remote strategy going forward or whatever it is. It's typical that the previous data a year ago wasn't reflected in anything that you documented. So the worst situation is that you reintroduce new policies, new ways of working, along with the old ways of working and have complete chaos. And I think last year also a lot of people found that they didn't document sufficient. They hadn't got enough policies. I'm not actually putting forward a case for more policies. Um, I just think that in the past we had a, a situation where if there was a policy, you didn't need a policy, so it's fine. We never looked at it until we had to. Whereas I think this provides a really good opportunity to draw a line and go, what does your business need? What are the real needs for you to legislate the type of organization that you need going forward? But you have to learn the lessons of the past and you have to root out those rogue policies, those you know, stores of outdated policies and, and guidance and, and make sure that everybody knows that that was then and, and this is now. So learning those lessons from the past, Robbie, that, that, that's a really good point before we can look to the future with confidence. You mentioned COVID-19 really as, as a really inciting incident there when everything changed, how we worked, where we worked, who we worked with. But it's, it sounds as though this policy pandemic started a little bit, well, certainly a, a long time before that. So, so Michael, what are some of the reasons why we see this proliferation? I mean, I, I think you mentioned mergers and acquisitions, so it certainly can be one thing, but what else? You know, is it, is it lack of internal ownership? Is it that governance teams are just under so much pressure because this regulatory landscape is, is changing so rapidly? Well, part of it is a lack of a coordinated strategy that there's different departments that have policies like accounting policies, HR policies, quality policies, environmental policies, health and safety policies, legal corporate compliance policies, IT security policies. And so each of these departments goes in its own way without really strategizing, thinking, you know, how can we like uh, provide a singular view into policies for our, our entire organization uh, in a consistent framework, a consistent process, a consistent template, a consistent portal. Now, some organizations are starting to do that, and, and that's great. But a lot of organizations are sort of like the Wild West. They're all over the map. I mean, there's this uh, the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. It was built in the 1800s. It cost $5.5 million to build in the 1800s. That's one expensive house today. It took 38 years to build and had 147 different builders, but it had no design, no blueprint, or no no architect. At the end of the day, it's got doors that open to walls or doors that open to 20-foot drops, staircases that go up or down to nowhere, you know, skylights that are in floors instead of ceilings. It has 3,000 windows. I just described an organization's policy management program that over the last 38 years, 147 different builders of policy doing policy in their own way without really thinking logically, you know, how can we make policies consistent in the organization? Almost as many windows as Robbie has where he is today. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I'm getting an idea of of some of the challenges here, some of the big numbers that we're talking about, and particularly, like you say, through whether it is mergers and acquisitions, whether it is not not, not enough ownership, that there, there is a problem. So, what is the future then? How do we start to tame this policy management problem? You know, you talk about agile policy management and, uh, and flexible, adaptable, something that, that is a little bit more flexible maybe than we have been in the past. R- Robbie, what's, what's your take on the solution to this problem? I think that a single source of truth 
for policies and, and also the associated training with policies because a policy on its own has value, but it, it's immensely improved if you provide some sort of training alongside of that policy and, and, and give it context. And so really this single policy portal benefits the organization because it's somewhere that users can go to self-manage. Because again, a good example of policy not doing its thing is where the author of the policy suddenly gets a a call from an employee saying, could I get the latest version of the policy on whatever, social media? And then a manager ringing and saying, could you send me the policy on Mm -hmm. social media that John signed? And you realize, well, that's a problem where really you need a policy port. Well, the two of them can go in. John can see what he signed. The manager can see what John signed. And they at least have, from the outset, a baseline upon which they can, they can talk on what the rules are. And I see that time and time again, where you either can't show that the policies were attested to, as in, you know, they're just, I sent you an email at some stage and you should have seen it, or they're on a, on a, a SharePoint system somewhere. And again, that gives rise to the proliferation where you have all these stores of, of various guidance. You bring them all together, you make it easy for people to access, you make it easy for people to consume. And at the same time, you provide guidance that engages users that is proving that they can actually understand. Because So we took the policy, we took the training, and then what you might do is actually test them on whether they understood it mm-hmm. or not so that we, we can feel certain that these important guidance to our staff, these important policies are being followed because n- no one ever sat down and took the time to write a policy unless it was really important, unless there was typically a risk associated with it. Mm. So these things are, are serious. The problem is that they don't get the attention that they deserve. And when things go wrong, they typically go wrong really badly. Um, and whilst in, in North America, you, you have that litigious situation. In Europe, you have sort of relatively similar type situations, whether it be in employment tribunals, be it in compliance, defenses with regulators. You have to be able to demonstrate that you took due care, wrote down what standards you hold yourself to and what standards you expect your workforce to hold themselves to. So one place, easy accessible, I think it's critical. Single point of truth single portal, if possible, good yes. platform for the policies themselves. But Michael, what about the content of those policies? How do we make sure that they are able to effectively communicate the policies to their intended audience? Uh, certainly. Uh, you know, Part of it is having what we call a policy on policies or a meta policy. And with that, you know, a style guide. And how do you write in the proper language and tone of the organization? How do you use the active voice and not the passive voice? You know, how do you write concisely? One of the big things that comes up now is, you know, the use of gender neutral terms in these policies. And so you need guidance on how to write the policies. I I was reviewing one policies, an organization supply chain code of conduct once, and it goes out to an international audience, like 20,000 facilities around the world. And most of these facilities, the reader has English as a second language. 
And I was surprised. I mean, this is a global Fortune 100 company at the time. And they, now they've addressed this and they publish in multiple languages. But at the time, it was just published in English. This supply chain code of conduct was written in the passive voice, long paragraphs with complex language, making it harder for uh, an English reader, or uh, well, actually, somebody that has English as a second language, making it harder for them to read, as well as just a, a native English reader. And what really struck me was just the carelessness in words. The first paragraph says company believes. The second paragraph says company strongly believes. <laughs> so we have different levels of belief in the supply chain code of conduct. <laughs> you might read right past that as native English speakers. It's just extra verbiage. But somebody that has English as a second language, which most of the people that were, this is going to, that's who they were, they're going to be reading every word and interpreting that. And they're going to say this second paragraph is more important than the first paragraph. And that's not the case. We need clear guidance in a structured process on writing policies. And, and as a, uh, Robbie was actually talking about, you know, the agile approach to be able to access policies and training for employees in the portal. We also need agile policy development and maintenance on the back end. Because if you think about it, business is changing. You know, COVID-19 comes in and policies change and business change, processes change. You know, you deal with an industry like financial services. There are 200 regulatory change events every business day from 1,000 regulators around the world in financial services. And, and so that's a lot. Now, some small fraction of those are going to impact policies. But, you know, if I'm changing one or two policies a day because of 200 regulatory change events, that's a lot. I was talking to one financial services firm in Europe this past year. They had a policy that took six months to get uh, a revision to a policy that took six months to complete, went through 75 different reviewers. You know, that's not agile. You know, we need agile back-end policy offering and development and maintenance uh, as well as agile front-end policy engagement to the employees. So people who are experts at understanding the policies, defining those policies mm -hmm. in collaboration with people who are experts at ensuring that employees can engage, can understand and ultimately act upon those yeah. policies. So for example, several years ago, I was doing a lot of interaction with uh, Barbara at Starbucks. Uh, Barbara is retired now, but she was the policy manager at Starbucks. And it was her job at Starbucks to make sure every policy was consistent in her, her and her team. And every policy went through them. Barbara told me that the only policy she ever wrote herself was the policy on writing policies. <laughs> she wasn't responsible for writing all these policies, but she was responsible for coordinating the whole process and making sure that every policy that was written conformed to the Starbucks style guide and language and policy and writing policy. Good work, Barbara. So I think that we're beginning to understand, obviously, what, what the benefits are of this agile policy management framework, process, portals, all of this stuff, making sure that the policies themselves are, of course, correct, but also able to communicate uh, that their intent to their audience, the workforce. As we start to wrap up our conversation, we're certainly getting this sense that a policy management framework that is agile, that is flexible, that communicates its intent to its workforce is very important in terms of alignment on policies, but also in terms of adherence to those policies. Are there any other benefits, maybe not direct benefits in terms of adherence and compliance that you see, Robbie, to having this strong policy management framework? I mean, it's no accident that Michael mentioned Starbucks because you typically find that some of the best organizations in the world who are executing against their business model, you'll find that a solid policy ecosystem 
is is underneath that. And and I remember working with one of the large oil companies again when they were going to change a, a, an element of of a big process. The first thing they, they they said is we'll give this to the lawyers last, almost as a fait accompli. So don't involve people with legal speak at the beginning. And they started out with what are the big rules? What are the, the guidelines? And once they got to the point where they understood the objectives that they were trying to uh, satisfy, it was the communication people of the, 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 the company that came in. So the best policies communicate really well. They resonate with people quite quickly. And they're free of the bibliography and uh, references that, that you would see in, in, in something um, in, a, in, a, in a legal text. Once you have that, you get huge benefits in terms of people knowing what they're supposed to do. So huge time savings. And because you're executing against your business model, you tend to get less people moving away from that and inventing their own. That's the biggest problem associated with not having a proper approach to this issue. Because anybody can fire up Microsoft Word, create a policy. And as Michael said, you know, that puts the company on the hook for who knows what. Whereas if you have a solid approach to this in place, which is easily accessible, it actually acts as an oiling of the the workings of the organization because that's really what's underpinning it. Michael, what's your take on the on maybe some of the non-obvious benefits of a strong policy management framework? Well, it gets right to what even Robbie is alluding to, too, is it's, it's the culture and, and it's the integrity of the organization. I mean, policies have a direct impact on the culture and integrity of the organization. That, that, that's what it comes down to. But I must say, it's not just about the written policy, having the right policy, but having that policy followed, understood and enforced in the environment is what impacts culture and integrity. You can have the right policy that nobody follows that can actually corrupt your, your culture. You know, I've got a policy here on my laptop. Back in the year 2000, it was known to be the model policy. It was a, the model code of conduct. Other organizations were copying to be their code of conduct. I had a petroleum company from Canada that told me that they copied that code of conduct nearly word for word to be their code of conduct. I'm talking Enron's code of conduct. <laughs> you know, and what started the whole Sarbanes-Oxley. And, and, and now, you know, we've got Wirecard in Germany almost like following the same suit. You know, but, you know, having a great written, well-written policy isn't enough. That policy actually has to be lived, breathed, and forced in the organization as well. That's absolutely critical. You know, policy management's absolutely critical, but it's not just about the proper writing of policies and, and how pretty they are and how you use white space. All those are very important things, but it's also about how you actually engage the employees and enforce the policies in the environment. One of the things too, David, is that one of the reasons why I like it is that it stops debate you know, far too often in organizations when you don't have a clear stance on something or the tone hasn't been set, it allows for people to interpret, it allows for people to extrapolate on nothing. Whereas if you say, this is what we're going to do and these are the rules associated with it, and you link that back to your ethics and and the overall culture of your organization, it makes for a, a, a much more agile environment. And so, the most agile organizations last year were those organizations that went and rewrote the policies for working from home, rewrote the policies for the new ways of working in their organization. 
the fact of the matter is that was a minority because most of us were scrambling to deal with the fallout of this thing. And the last thing on our minds was policies. But a year later, I don't think that excuse actually uh, carries much water. I think at this point in time, policies are more important than ever. So uh, before we go, let's do some takeouts, gentlemen. What do you suggest are good, practical, tangible next steps if, let's say, somebody watching or listening today recognises this policy problem within their own organisation and Michael would like to do something about it? Here's my five-step plan. The the, the first step is plan your journey. That's going to start with understanding what's your current state. How many policy portals are there? You like that insurance company has 20 different policy portals? How many different templates? How many departments issuing policies? What policies are out there? What's working? What's not working? It starts with understanding your current state and then planning what's my future state? Where do I want to be two years from now or three years from now? And, and so the, the very first step is just to plan your journey. Where are we at now? Where do we want to be in two years or three years from now? The second step is to get the right people on board. You know, build that business case, engage other parts of the business, you know, corporate compliance and ethics, IT security, human resources, legal, maybe quality and accounting. Who, what are these departments that are issuing managing policies? Start to get the right team on board. The third step is you need technology for this. We all use technology. If you're using, if you're writing policies in stone tablets and chisels, that's a form of technology. If you're using pen and paper, that's a form of technology. We're using word processing. That's definitely technology. If we're using meta compliance. There, we're starting to get to some good technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in that context, you, we need to make sure that you know you have the right technology. You don't want to get like halfway up on your journey and find out uh, we don't have like say we're climbing a mountain. We only have enough equipment to get up halfway up the mountain. We've got to go back down and get some more equipment. Pick your technology infrastructure that's going to help you achieve that two or three year plan. And from there, break it up into stages, particularly if it's, you might be doing this at a department level where it's not such a big issue. Maybe you're just trying to improve your accounting department policies, your IT security department policies. But if it's an enterprise policy management strategy, which I advocate, in that context, you need to break things up into a journey, uh, into stages. If you climb Mount Everest too fast, what happens? You die. You've got to get your up to the first base camp and let your body acclimate to that altitude before you're ready to get to the next base camp. And you have to tackle it in stages. And so if you're like that healthcare firm with 21,000 policies and you want to get down and, and procedures, not just policies, and you want to get down to 5,000, you're not going to accomplish that in one month or three months. You've got to break things down into stages that are manageable and achievable as well. And so that was the fourth element. The, the fifth element is be ready for change. The journey's never over. You know, something like COVID-19 hits and it completely restructures how we communicate and engage the workforce and policies. We have a big merger and acquisition, and and that brings completely redundant sets of policies. You know, new regulation, whatever it might be. We always have to adapt and be agile. Always adapt, always be agile. Robbie, final thoughts and takeaways from you? When it comes to policies, I think there's a quote from the film Galaxy Quest that is appropriate here. Never give up, never surrender. Because policy management is not easy. It's, again, people's eyes glaze over. And typically, it takes a load of effort and a load of time to actually make it happen. In terms of what people should do, I think they should sign up for Michael's newsletters. They're very entertaining. And I, I find that they help with the journey that people are on. Also, uh, if uh, at the end of this, uh, we'll leave a link to the OSEG guide to implementing a integrated policy management program, which is on our website for people to download. 
And there's some excellent resources there for people to get started, for people to move along with this journey. And in that context, Robbie, you know, we just, uh, my OSEG and myself just actually developed policymanagementpros.com with a, a certification in this space and helping people, you know, define what are the elements of a policy on writing policies and, and these different elements. And so we've just released that website now. Michael, Robbie, thank you both so much for joining us today. Lots and lots to take away from that. Thank you. And thank you for joining us too. Until next time, bye-bye.